every year that I've been the pastor, God has given me uh, a word. And what I mean by a word is like one word that will kind of describe the year. 2015 was my first full year, and no, Lord didn't necessarily give me a word. I just knew what the word would be, would be survive, right? That would be the word, survive your first year as a pastor. But 2016, I felt the Lord speak to my heart and said that it would be a year of change, right? A year of change. And there was a lot of change. We did the kids' center, and a lot of things changed. 2017, this pastor would be a year of refinement. And there's a lot of refining that's gone on in me and in the staff and even in the church. Refinement is a, is a good thing. This year, back in March, so back in March, I felt like the Lord began to kind of speak to me about what 2018 would be, and this is the word that I felt the Lord drop in my heart, and I've been, I've been chewing on it, kind of ruminating on it for the past couple months, and it's the word action. It would be a year of action. Now, when I say a year of action, that's kind of exciting, right? Because when you think about what action is, I looked up the definition, I thought it was great. One of the definitions in Merriam-Webster was things done. You like short definitions? Things done. Sometimes you read a definition and you're more confused about what the word means after you read the definition. You got to look up a bunch of words that are trying to describe it. Things done. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I love things getting done. I love things being accomplished. That's another definition for action. Things being accomplished. So we say a year of action. When I first got that idea, I'm like, yeah, Lord, I, I'm excited for things being done. I'm excited for you. You're going to do some stuff for me. How many like stuff done for you? How many would like to be the recipient and the benefactor of things being done, right? We've been hoping, we've been praying, we've been thinking about God doing some things. Oh, 2018, God, you're going to do it, right? It's going to be a year of action. I got super excited. And the more I prayed about it, because one of the things I do, if I feel like the Lord may drop something in my heart, is I got to pray about it because I know how I am. And sometimes it could be my emotions. And I'm a little leery of people that say God said all the time. Because I, I think God said. I can't be for sure. I like to pray about it. I also say, God, would you give me a scripture? Lord, can you lead me to some place in your word so that I could substantiate what I feel like you said to my heart? Because if God said to you and he didn't say in here, then he didn't said to you. All right? So you got to be careful with the whole God said stuff. Maybe God, I think, I feel, I said. As I begin to pray about this year of action, like what does this mean? What I realized is my perspective on action was, was more passive than it was active. What do you mean? I mean, I was thinking about it solely from the perspective of being a recipient, being a benefactor, right? Like, God's going to do all this stuff, and I get to sit back and just receive it. I'm like, hallelujah, Lord, this is good stuff. Anybody? I mean, I can get on board with that. I love this church. They're going to do stuff for me, right? Action is going to take place. Lord, help me begin to see that. Yeah, yeah, I will do things, but, but this is an active, there's an active component to this. It'll be a year of action, but it's not a year of passive action or, or just you just kind of sitting back and not doing anything and me just doing everything, that there's this active component. And let me step back for a moment. With God, we are fundamentally benefactors. We are recipients of all that he's done. Okay, I'm not taking that away. God does it all, but we do partner with him. There is a responsibility that God puts on us. There's a job. There's a purpose. There's, there's habits and things and disciplines that he's asked us to engage in because God works with us and through us, not always in spite of us. God uses us to accomplish his plan. And as I thought about that, I thought, that's right. I, I will have to play a part. Not only will I have to play a part, you will have to play a part. 
See, I believe it's not just a year of action for Faith Community Church. I believe it's a year of action for every single one of you. Let me say it like this. It can be a year of action. But it being a year of action 2018 is not contingent upon God. It's not contingent upon God at all. I would, I would submit to you today that I think it's 100% contingent upon us. Upon the perspective that we have. Upon the decisions that we make. Because I want to submit to you this idea today. That God has already done everything that he needs to do for it to be a year of action for all of us. He's already done it. There is nothing left for God to do. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, I don't know about that, Josh. There's a lot of stuff that God needs to do in my life. I'm broke. I'm sick. My marriage is struggling. My kids don't like me. I'm about to get fired. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I'm depressed. There's a lot of stuff that I've been praying about, I've been hoping for, I've been, I've been thinking about that I need God to do. So how can you tell me that God's already done it and it's contingent upon me? See, I understand that perspective because it's difficult, right? Like, Josh, I've been, I've been doing what I know to do and here you are. You're telling me that the year of action is contingent upon God, upon me and not upon God. I get it. And I'm not here to minimize what you're going through. I'm not here to discredit it. I'm not here to say, hey, that's not really happening. You just need to, you know, you need to look another direction. No, I believe all those things can happen and are happening. You're struggling financially. You're struggling in your relationships. You're struggling in your health. You're struggling with your kids. You're struggling in areas, and you do need the intervention of God. But what if I told you that God already addressed every single one of those things? He already addressed it. He already provided for it. There is, there is provision for every single one of our needs that we have in Christ Jesus. He's already acted. He's already done it. See, I think what happens is, is we fall into this perspective sometimes where we're hoping, we're praying, and we're, just, we're asking and we're begging God. What happens is, is in that perspective, are any of those things wrong? No, but the perspective becomes this, that our problem or our issue becomes bigger than our perspective of who God is. We become so focused on the what, the what that I need God to do. You don't understand. I need God to fix this. I need God to send me a big old check. But I, I, I need it. And we think if God could just answer this when he can do this, then everything else will just will fall into place. We focus on the what, and, and I get it. I mean, our problems can be big, but we miss out on the who. The who is behind it. The, the one who is taking the action. And when we become so focused on our problems and the things that we need God to do, we stop pursuing him and we start pursuing the need, the, the money, the job, the, the whatever. We pursue a, a, an answer, a remedy to the issue that's in front of us. And, and again, I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but I think we miss it, right? We miss the entire purpose of why God came and what he meant to do in our lives. And you know what's interesting is, is I was, as I, I told you, I, I always ask the Lord when I feel like he speaks to me, can you, can you lead me to some scripture? Just lead me, please, lead me to some scripture so I can substantiate this and I can get up and talk to people about it and, and I can know it's true for me. And the Lord, over the course of, of some months, he, he led me to two passages of scripture that I want to share with you today. See, what I, what I want to do uh, today and, 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 and next week really is I want to challenge you. All right? I'm, I'm going to start to push you from, from this year. I'm going to start to push you to action. You may not like me this year a lot, but 
I'm coming to terms with that, and it's okay. See, I really believe that part of my calling is, is pushing people to action, is leading people to a place of authenticity and action. I want to challenge you to action. I want to challenge you that, that you can't just come here and sit, that at some point you're going to have to get up and serve. You're going to have to get up and do something, not because we need it, not because if it, you, know, that you have to, you're not going to be accepted, that you just feel an overflowing out of you if you realize all that God has done for you, that you've got to get out and do something with what God is doing in your life. Whether in the context of this church or outside in the community, that you can't, this, this is not going to be a place just to sit, right? We're going to take action. Why? Because the vision that God has laid, what is that? You got to come next week. <laughs> Push you to action. See, the scripture that God led me to was, was Luke chapter 4. And really what we'll see in this passage, we're going to read it here in a minute, we'll see what, it, what action is really all about. Because instead of asking what is action, we're going to start to ask who is it? Who embodies action and what, what does that really mean? In Luke chapter 4, this passage of scripture, we have Jesus, and he's coming to his hometown of Nazareth. That's where he was born. And he's there. This is, he started his ministry, and he comes to Nazareth. He's at home. And what we find Jesus doing is something pretty cool. He's going to church. Jesus goes to church, said he goes to the temple. So Jesus went to church very consistently. Back in those days, kind of what church consisted of is they would come, they would, they would gather around, and they would do a scripture reading. Somebody would get up and read the reading for the day. And then they would kind of just talk about it for a little bit. Jesus is the one who gets up and reads a passage of scripture in church. And he gives a little short, a short deal on it. But I want to read it. It's Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. It said, Jesus then returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power, and reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue, that's the church, on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of, the, of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. So he's, he's reading out of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and he began to speak to them. Here's what he said. The scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. What do we have going on here? What we have here is, I believe, the clearest picture of the action that God has taken on our behalf. See, when Jesus stood up to read this, this passage of scripture in the church, they were celebrating the thing called, called the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was this, this year, this time where, where debts would be forgiven, where slaves would be set free, and, and they would gain their freedom, where, where all these kind of things would happen. They, they would allow the land to heal. God, what God did is he baked this into the culture of the Hebrew people. This was part of their rhythm. This was part of their life. They, they celebrated the year of Jubilee. Jesus stands up uh, to read this stuff on the year of Jubilee. Really, you can, you can say that the year of Jubilee is like a year of action. It's a year of action that people need, that people want. Can you imagine that there was every so many years all your debts would be forgiven? Man, that'd be great, right? I'd be getting a whole lot more stuff on the credit card. You know, It's coming up next year. Debts would be forgiven. You'd be set free. All these things that you, you can't do for yourself, that it's contingent upon someone else. This is the, the year of Jubilee. 
And Jesus stands up and he he reads this. The spirit of God is upon me to preach good news, to set the captive free, to heal the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to declare the favor of the Lord. He he lists out some action, right? Gospel is going to be preached. Blind people are going to see. The oppressed are going to be set free psychologically. Depression, demon possession, all these things. Relationships are going to be restored. And then what he does is, is he closes the scroll up and he goes and sits down. And everybody's looking at him. What is he going to say? And then he says something really crazy. This scripture has been fulfilled here today. We read it and we're like, oh, that's cool. No, here's what you got to understand. This is a prophecy written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came. And he's claiming to be God. He said, all those things that I just read, that's me. See, he'd already been going around and healing people, setting people free. Blind people were seeing. Lives were being changed. People were raising from the dead. He's doing all this stuff. And he's like, I'm just here to tell you that that what you just heard, I am the fulfillment and the embodiment. I am the action that you just heard about. What he's really saying is, I am Jubilee. There's no longer just a year of Jubilee. There will be a Jubilee for eternity for anyone who comes to me. You don't have to wait every so many years. I'm not just going to give, forgive your physical debts, right, and, and set you uh, free from being a physical slave. No, I've come to set you free for eternity from being a spiritual slave and having a spiritual debt. I will take that on myself. I've set you free. I am action. I am the year of action. That's what Jesus is saying. Incredible. What was the people's response? If you read on, they're like, oh, man. And then they got mad at him, and they tried to kill him. They ran him out of town. They were not excited about what Jesus was saying because he was claiming to be God. See, when I said before that, that God has already addressed your every need, God has already made provision for everything that you deal with. He made provision for your lack of finances. He's made provision for your sickness. He's made provision for the relationship issues that you're having. He's made provision for the children that don't want to be around you. Or maybe they've, they've walked away from the Lord. He has made, you think about a problem, he has already made provision for it. And the question is, is where is that provision? It is in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I'm here to tell you today, there is nothing greater than Jesus. Nothing. Your financial miracle, your relationship being restored is not greater than Jesus. God will never improve on Jesus. There is nothing left for God to do. That's why God is seated and Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is at rest because he has spoken in finality. And that's a perspective shift. Some say, well, God didn't do this. Oh, that didn't happen. Oh, the president did this and my life's going to get worse. Oh, I need this, whatever the case is. And those are all legitimate concerns. But yet we come to God and say, where are you? What have you done? And what we do unintentionally is we devalue and disregard what he's done in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. He's the very best of heaven. This can be a year of action for you if you can pull your perspective off the thing that you need God to do and put it on him, the one who has taken the action, the one who has shown his hand and said, I am for you, not against you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. As as Paul said, it is in him that we live and we move and we have our being. 
It's all about Jesus. See, I didn't get that at the beginning when I felt like the Lord said it's going to be a year of action. I'm like, oh, there's all this stuff. All these seats are going to be filled, right? We'll never, we'll never have to ask for any more money. And, and God is just going to do all these incredible things. Can he do those? Sure. But I began to understand it, that there was this responsibility, that there was, there was this something that, that we needed to do to, to pursue him, right? And, and, to, and to have faith and to go on this journey and to be challenged to live our lives in the way that he's called us to live our lives. And so then, then God brought me to another scripture to kind of really encapsulate this. So what, what is it the theme of, of this going to be? How are you going to thematically approach a year of action? I want to share with you what, what I believe that God gave me for the, the, the theme verse for 2018 for this church. All right? The theme verse. And if you want to, you can adopt it as your own because it's going to bless you. Why is it going to bless you? Because it's just God's word. So it's going to bless you regardless. But it's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. I'm going to read the first five verses so we get some context. But uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. Write it down because you're going to walk out here and you're going to forget it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. Here's what Paul says. He said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined, here's verse 2, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Second verse, Paul, for I have determined, I have decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. See, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. See, in Corinth, these people, this is like a, a, a huge city. It's a port city. Things from all over the world influences philosophy come through Corinth. These people are smart. These people are philosophical. They're part of the Greek empire. They're all, the Greek empire was known for its philosophers. In the book of Acts, Paul goes to this place that's in Corinth, near Corinth. It's called Mars Hill. Okay? Paul goes into this place with all these religious leaders, these philosophers, and there's this inscription to an unknown god. Paul gets all philosophical with him. He does this amazing thing where he, he, he ties the unknown God to it being the God of the universe, the creator. But what happens is, is not many people get saved that day. Some people do. Some people say it was one of Paul's least effective mission uh, evangelism things. So Paul plants this church at Corinth, and here's what he decides in his letter to them. He decides that, you know what? I'm not going to take a philosophical approach. Because what was happening in Corinth is they were mixing philosophy with the gospel. Trying to improve upon it. So what Paul says is this. And you've got to understand, Paul is brilliant. By the age of 21, Paul had the equivalent of two PhDs. If there's anybody that can philosophize and logicize and analytical size and all that, it's Paul. Right? He, he's brilliant. So when he makes this statement, he says, look, here's what I've determined. I've determined to know nothing, nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. I'm not going to mix philosophy with the gospel. I'm going to preach to you the simplicity of the gospel. It's a profound statement. And he says, I came to you in fear. I came to you in trembling. I came to you not with persuasive words. I came to you with just a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That word demonstration means legal, verifiable proof. And I did all of this so you would not trust in human wisdom, but that you would trust in him. 
For I have determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Lord led me to that, to that verse and I thought, man, that's incredible. That's what, as a church, that's what we're going to do this year. That's going to undergird the, the, the preaching that you hear. It's, gonna, it, it's my verse for the year that I've determined among you. I'm going to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. And if you could begin to make that decision in your heart to say, I determined this year to know nothing among anybody else except Christ and him crucified. See, it's, it's interesting. You read that. It's like, oh, man, it sounds good, but I don't know what it means. Right? Like, what do I do with that? Right? Like, I just talk about Jesus, think about Jesus, pray about Jesus, watch Jesus movies, read Jesus books, listen to Jesus music. You know, what, what do, how, I don't know. What do I do? Well, I want to give you some perspective. And this perspective came to me via a quote by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, who's a great author, philosopher, thinker, believer. I mean, read, you know, Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. He's amazing. Here's what he said. He was an atheist before a committed atheist, kind of a just rampant atheist. He said this. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. I think we could, we could take that and we could say that I believe in Jesus. Not just because I see him, but because it is through him and by him that I can see and understand and know everything else. See, the entire Bible is about Jesus. In the Old Testament, he's concealed. And in the New Testament, he is revealed. I want to submit to you today this, this idea, this thought. The more that you know Jesus, the more you will understand about every situation of your life. The more you know Jesus, the better husband and wife you will be. The more you know Jesus, the better mother or father that you will be. The more you know Jesus, the better steward of your finances you will be. The more that you know Jesus, the better person you will be, the better coworker that you will be. The more you know Jesus, the more wisdom that you will have. The more that you know Jesus, the more that you will understand your purpose and why you are here on this earth and what it is that you are to do. The more that you know Jesus, the more that you know. And it's not human wisdom. It's not philosophy. It is in a relationship with Jesus, the, the person of action, the one who has opened the blind eyes, not just physical blind eyes, but spiritual eyes, the one who sets the oppressed free, the one who heals sickness, the one who does everything that we need because he is all that we need him to be when we need him to be it. I encourage you, this year, to take a step, determine in your heart to say, I want to know nothing except Christ and him crucified, because it is by him that I see everything else. I think what we're guilty of in church sometimes is distilling everything down to three steps, right? Hey, if you can just give me three steps, Josh, I'll do it. If you can give me three steps, I'll know what the message was about. It'll be great. I'll feel good. And we miss, miss the why underneath it, the purpose, the, the life-giving power that is in the Word of God. It's like, hey, I don't want three steps. I want Jesus. I want, I want all that he has for me. Yeah, I want to come to church. I want to worship. I want to do it, but I want, to, I want to have a greater sense and understanding of the person of Jesus in my life. Like, I don't ever want to get tired of just hearing about Jesus. Like, yeah, I heard the gospel. He died. Now, what's next? 
There's no next. I'm telling you. There's no next. You don't, you don't treat Jesus as the introductory course to Christianity and say, okay, now I'm going to Romans. I've, I've excelled beyond the gospels. No, no, no. The gospels are central to everything. Listen to Paul. Paul can't help but talk about Jesus. He effervesces about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You want to know what the book of Revelation is? Everybody go to, go to Revelation and you're like, I can't understand this. So you quit. You realize like in the first couple sentences that this is a revelation of Jesus. That's what it says. Someone pointed that out to me. I'm like, oh, okay. Revelation's about Jesus. It's not about like nuclear weapons and helicopters and, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff that I heard growing up. It's about Jesus. Jesus. And in the Old Testament, you can see how he's revealed in every book of the Old Testament. It's all about him. What would it look like if you could make that determination in your heart? I want to know Jesus. I want to have a a life-giving, empowered walk with Jesus. I want to know what it means to have Jesus present in my marriage, in my relationship with my kids, in my finances, in my friendships, at my work. I don't work at a church. It doesn't matter. He wants to be present wherever you're at. Not only wants to be, he is, but he wants you to acknowledge that. He wants, to, he wants every part of your life. I have determined, listen to this, I have determined among you to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. God has already acted in the person of Jesus. There's nothing else for him to do. That's what we, we pursue as Christ followers. Hear that, Christ followers, not Christ leaders. We don't lead him. We don't tell him what to do. We don't have that right. We follow. You know what the scripture says? It's crazy. Here's what the scripture says. So it says, to die is to gain. It says that we need to lose ourselves in order to find ourselves. It says that we need to lay everything down that we have to follow him. Yeah, he did it all. He made the greatest sacrifice, but, but he's not here to give you a better life. He doesn't make bad people good. He made dead people live. Come on, somebody. Does he want you to be better financially? Sure. That's all good stuff, but it's all surface. Get the better house, the car, the trips, all that, but you're not going to be happy. It's just stuff. We go into debt for stuff, and it makes us unhappy. But when you're rooted in who you are in Christ, you take that trip, it's like wonderful. Like, hey, this trip is good, but it, I don't need it to be happy. I don't need this house to be happy. It's nice to have it. I'm thankful for it and wonderful. No, no, don't feel guilty having a house, but it's like, I don't need it. I don't need it to feel better. I don't need it to, to, to prop myself up. It's just, it's just all external stuff. It's all in the periphery because Jesus is, is at the center. He's at the center. I told you I was going to challenge you, and I'm, I'm going to challenge you to do four things this year. Four things, four, four habits. I am distilling it down. I feel like I'm you know, going back on my word. But these four things I'm going to give you are going to be things that are going to push you to know Jesus more. Because we need something to, hold, to, to wrap our hands around. Say, so what are those four things? Well, I'm going to give you those four things. Not next week. The final two weeks of January. You've got to come back. You've got to come back. I'll tell you what they are, but I'm not going to unpack them today. I'm going to challenge you to do these four things. I'm going to challenge you to do them for the whole year and come back to me at the end of the year and tell me if your life isn't better and tell me if it isn't different. Tell me that it hasn't changed you. Tell me that you don't have a greater perspective and understanding and love and passion for the person of Jesus. Take a year of your life to say, I'm going to know nothing except Christ and him crucified and tell me 
what happens. Will there be some difficulties? You better believe it. It's not going to be roses and gumdrops. But your perspective will change. Your heart will change. You'll have a peace that passes and transcends all understanding and guards your heart in Christ Jesus. You'll have a, a confidence in who you are. Here are the four things, okay? Again, not going to break them down. I'm just going to tell them to you. I'm going to challenge you to give and gather and spend and serve. Give and gather, spend and serve. I'm going to come back to the last two weeks of January so we can unpack that and I can give you some more practical things that you can implement in your life to, to make this commitment a reality. Because the last thing I want us to do is walk out of here on an emotional high saying, I'm going to know nothing but Christ and crucified. And then you're home a few hours throwing ice on your dry, uh, salt on your driveway complaining about how everything is. And you're like, you know, you just lose it because you're happy in the moment and then you just, life happens. I believe that, that spiritual disciplines are, are a big part of our life. We see Jesus modeling spiritual disciplines for us to see how fruitful and effective they can become. Give and gather, spend and serve. Be thinking about that. Be ruminating about that. Give and gather, spend and serve. Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Give and gather, spend and serve. You're just gonna, it's going to dominate your thought process. Give and gather, spend and serve. Give and gather, spend and serve. That's what your life can be about for 2018 and hopefully even beyond. But if I could just end with uh, a personal story. Is that okay? Yes. yes. Right. We don't hear any ice hitting the metal. We'd hear it, so we're good. I, about probably, let's say 2009, how many years ago is that? Eight? Eight years ago? Eight years ago, I was, I was still working at uh, Joyce Farm Ministries, and um, Lauren and I, were, we had just stepped out to start this uh, ministry called Project 58, um, to help you know, alleviate human suffering all over the world. And uh, we didn't have any money and, um, for the job for, to do that or really any money for ourselves. You know, let's just be honest. We're just making it, you know? And uh, we stepped out to do that, and it was a pretty, pretty amazing thing, uh, process we were going through. But there's one day that the Lord spoke to me. I felt the Lord speak to me, I should say, uh, while I was working there. And I got up to use the bathroom, and I was walking out of the, the department that I was working in. And I sensed that this is what the Lord spoke to my heart. Josh, you'll never walk in the fullness of what I have for you unless you're confident before me. I thought, I know what that means. It wasn't like a holy moment. It was like, okay, you know, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but it stuck with me. It stuck with me. And I went and I asked, I asked a mentor of mine. And I share this story in Next Steps. So if you're coming to Next Steps next week, you're going to hear it again. But it's good stuff. At least I think it's good. And I said, well, I don't know what this means, Pastor Lynn. I'm never walking in the fullness of what God has for us. I'm confident before him. I said, what do I have to do to be confident before God? So you've got to understand, I grew up in a, in, a, in a very legalistic environment, not here. It was just all about, like, you know, God's good and he saves you, but man, hell is more eminent for you than heaven. Like, Jesus can save you, but we don't know if he can keep you saved. Because you've got to stop drink, smoking, and chewing, and run with the girls that do. You know what I mean? You gotta, like, it was crazy, man. We, we couldn't go to the movies. And it was, I mean, Come talk to me later. It's, it's crazy stuff. You'd be like, holy cow. We'll, we'll, we'll have therapy together, you know. Um, and so I, I say that jokingly, but I say it because I had this intense fear that I was not good enough for the Lord, that God was, was going to condemn me to hell. I, no, nothing I did was ever good enough, and I couldn't be good enough. I had issues, man. I struggled with them. I told you before, I struggled with pornography. So many things. There's no way that I, I could make the cuts. I tried really, really hard to be good enough for God, and that led into being an intense people pleaser. I mean, if there's a people pleaser here today, it's me. I'm a recovering people pleaser, okay? <laughs> recovering people pleaser. And, um, and, and Pastor Lynn told me, he said, Josh, you don't have to do anything. 
God has already done it. I said, okay. I came to work the next day. There's a book on my desk from him. It's called The Gospel of Peace by Dr. James Richards. I start reading this book, right? I'm supposed to be working, but I'm reading. I'm reading. I get to one of the chapters, and it's talking about the sufficiency of Jesus, how he has, he has paid it all. It is the finished work of Jesus. And I heard all this my whole life. I memorized a lot of scripture. I went to a Christian school. We had to memorize scripture all the time. And if you memorized more, you got like special privileges. So I memorized all that I could. Not because I wanted to know the Lord, but because I wanted the privileges. So I knew all the scripture. That's a blessing, man. I have like an encyclopedia of scripture. But I'm reading it. And, and all of a sudden, I'm sitting there in my desk. And I, start to, I just start to cry, which isn't a super big deal because I cry a lot. But I just I start to cry. And, and, and I put the book down. And I looked up with tears in my face. And for the first time, here's what I said. I said, I'm saved. I'm saved. Like, I believed it. I got saved at like five, okay? And then like every service until I was eight, I got saved. <laughs> there was an option. My hand was up. I was down at the altar. But I believed it. Jesus is enough. It was incredible. God took me on a journey. I'd say maybe what, Lauren, for the next couple of years. Lauren heard all about it. For the next couple of years, and it was this journey of, of knowing nothing except Christ and him crucified. I, I started looking for a particular book uh, by an author that I had seen one time on TV. I just felt like I, I had the name in my head, and, and I was like, i got to find it, i got to find it. I couldn't find anything. I came into work a few weeks later. Guess what? Somebody put, had that book on my desk with a note written and said, the Lord told me to buy this for you. I didn't tell that person. I devoured that book. I started listening to, to, to people just, just talk about Jesus. It was like I was hearing the gospel for the first time. I was, we didn't have any money, and there was a particular ministry uh, that I was, I was following, and they did offers of any amount. Anybody ever heard of that, offers of amount? You can call in and give whatever you want, and they'll send it to you. I gave them a dollar for like a year. I, I'm serious. I felt bad, but I'm, I don't got any money. And they would pay for the shipping. They lost money on me. Lost money. I would get these teachings in, and I'd listen to them in my car to and from work. i put them in my computer at work. I devoured them. I was like, I was obsessing over it. It was, it was, it was amazing. I was telling Lauren everything that I knew. I was just like filling her full, full, and full. She's like, that's awesome. That's great. You know, she could, could hardly keep up. But it was just, it was, it was incredible. I mean, it, it was like I was on fire. And you got you to gotta understand, I, I grew up in church my whole life. But it was like I was hearing about Jesus for the first time. God changed me. I had high blood pressure because I, I, I battled anxiety, and I was a little overweight. But um, <laughs> I was pre-hypertensive almost. I mean, at 20, like 25. I mean, come on. You know, 20, 24. And my blood pressure went down. I didn't change my diet. I became a better husband. I became a better father. I, I just felt so, like, at ease and more confident in who I am. And you know what changed? The only thing that changed was what I was looking at and what I was listening to. I had just unconsciously, kind of unintentionally said, I want to know Christ and him crucified. Nothing. And it changed me. Oh, man, it set me on fire. See, I knew that God had called me to do something in, in ministry. I never thought I'd be a pastor. But then from that point on, all I wanted to do was just tell people about Jesus. That's kind of like almost in every sermon I have. i got to bring it back to Jesus somehow, right? I'm, I'm trying to find a way to fit him in because it fundamentally changed my life. And that's why I'm okay to stand up here and I'm going to push you. I'm going to be like a coach. I played sports growing up, and so I really enjoyed when a coach would push me, right? And not let me feel sorry for myself. And not let me make excuses. And so could see something in me that I couldn't see in myself and would not stop until that could be fruitful in me. Whether I hated him or not, whether he made me run so much I puked, 
That man's name is, is, is Coach Rizzi. And I love him to this day. That man could have said, Josh, run through the wall. And I would have said, how hard do you want me to hit that thing? I will run through it. I will do it because he drew something out of me. He believed in me. I believe in you. I believe that God has so many things for you. And I believe that you are not a victim of your circumstance. I will never feel sorry for you. I'll have sympathy. I'll have empathy, but I won't feel sorry for you. I will push you because there's more that you can accomplish. I'll never let you make excuses for the situation that you're in because you're not a victim, and I will never treat you like a victim. And if you want to be a victim in this church, it's the wrong place to be. You can be a victim of what someone else has done to you, but you can't have a victim mentality because we're going to have a gospel mentality, right? That we are more than conquerors, that we are overcomers, that no matter what anyone has done to us, God redeems and restores all things. 2009, God changed my life forever. He set me on fire. And I've got a burning passion for everyone to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. So I believe that, yes, this is going to be a year of action. But God's part's already done. And the rest is up to us. Come back next week. We're going to talk about the vision that I have going forward. I'm going to challenge you to be all in for that. And then the remaining weeks of January, we're going to break it down because we're going to do what? Give and gather, spend and serve. Take that challenge for the year to see that we can know nothing except Christ and him crucified. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? Let me pray for you. Pray for your journey home. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person that's here today. God, I thank you for these people because they braved the weather. Right there. They're the committed. Lord, I pray that, that, that this first Sunday in January, as we talked about this being a year of action, and that our theme for the year is to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. I pray that, Lord, that would just begin to resonate on the inside of each and every one of us. It would be a burning desire to know Jesus. We want to know him in the context of our marriages, context of our, our, our other relationships, being a parent, our finances, our, our work. It just it'd be holistic, every area of our life. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do what you begin to do best, and that is to reveal the person of Jesus Christ. Father, may we do our best in this place to lift you up, because your word says that if Jesus be lifted up, that he would draw all people unto himself. We just, we, just, we just kind of put a stake in the ground and say 2018 will be a year of lifting up the person of Jesus. It'll be a year of action because he is the action that we need. God, I pray that as we leave here today that you, you bless us all with safety. Lord Jesus, no accidents, nothing whatsoever. Every person that couldn't be here today, Father, keep them safe. And Lord, we just, we just look forward with expectation to this year because you're going to do exceedingly and abundantly above anything that we could ask for or imagine at the power that's at work within us. And that is the power of Jesus Christ dwelling on the inside of us. And we pray this in his name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.